Chapter 9, The Lost Knights. Annie chased Jack around the circle. Stop, Jack, she cried. Stop. She grabbed his shirt and tried to pull him out of the dance. Let go, Annie, he said. Leave me alone. But Annie wouldn't let go. Finally, she pulled so hard that Jack broke hands with the dancers and tumbled backward into the grass. The wing dancers didn't seem to notice. They closed their circle and kept going around and around. Why did you do that, said Jack, sitting up. I was having fun. Look at the knights, said Annie. See them? Jack still couldn't see. The world was spinning before his eyes. He ached to get back into the dance. Here, I found your glasses, said Annie. Put them on. Jack put on his glasses. He peered at the circle of dancers. He caught sight of armor glinting in the sunlight. He saw three knights dancing in a row. Two of them looked very young. The third looked much older. As they came closer, Jack saw their faces. All the joy of the music drained out of him. The knights looked tired and sick. Their hair and beards were long and scraggly. Their faces were bony and pale. Their eyes stared wildly and their lips were frozen in ghostly smiles. What's wrong with them? asked Jack. They can't stop dancing, said Annie. They're dancing themselves to death. They must be the lost knights from Camelot, said Jack. We have to save them, said Annie. Yeah, said Jack. He tried to clear his mind and think. What about this? We get back in the dance and we take places between the dancers and the knights. Yes, then we can pull the knights out of the circle, said Annie. Wait, said Jack. What if I can't stop dancing again? Just don't let yourself get caught by the music, said Annie. You have to think about something else. Think about why we're here. Think about Morgan. Okay, said Jack. I'll try. Jack and Annie crouched in the grass. They watched and waited as the knights danced closer and closer and closer. Now, shouted Annie. Jack and Annie rushed forward. They broke into the circle on either side of the knights. As Jack started dancing, his feet seemed to fly to the beat of the drum. He felt a wave of great joy. His worries left him. Now, Jack, cried Annie, pull away. But Jack didn't want to pull away. The music rang in his ears. Nothing mattered except the dancing. Jack, pull away now, Annie shouted again. Jack shook his head, trying to shake off Annie's voice. Morgan, Morgan, Annie yelled. The word Morgan made Jack stumble a bit in the dance. Morgan, Morgan, Annie shouted. Jack stumbled again. Then he used all his might to stop himself from dancing. He let go of the hand of the dancer on his right and threw himself out of the dance, pulling the knight on his left with him. Annie and the other two knights tumbled back with him onto the grass. Just as before, the dancers didn't seem to notice. They closed their circle and kept going round and round in their joyous, timeless dance. Chapter 10, The Knight's Gifts. The three knights lay in the grass, fighting for breath. The dance must stop. Stop dancing, gasped the older knight. You have stopped. We pulled you away, said Annie. The knight looked up at her and Jack. He had a rough, craggy face. Who, who are you? he asked in a hoarse voice. Friends, said Annie. She spoke loudly to be heard over the music. We come from King Arthur's castle. We're on a quest, said Jack, to get the water of memory and imagination, to save Camelot, said Annie. Camelot, whispered the knight. 
We, we come from Camelot. I don't recognize you. We're just visiting, said Annie, but we know all about you. You're Sir Lancelot, aren't you? Yes, breathed the knight. And Sir Percival and Sir Galahad, said Jack. Yes, my son, Galahad, said the knight. King Arthur thinks you are lost forever, said Annie. Sir Lancelot closed his eyes. The dance, he said, it made us forget. I know, said Jack. The dancers must be the keepers of the cauldron. You can't get past them without getting caught up in their dance. Father, we must find the water. Sir Galahad tried to sit up, but he was too weary. He lay back in the grass. That's okay. We're here now, said Annie. You should all rest. Sir Galahad closed his eyes. Yeah, don't worry, said Jack. Annie and I will find the magic water for Camelot. But you, you are just children, said Sir Percival, the third knight. You must wait for us. There's no time to wait, said Jack. Camelot is dying, said Annie. We have to hurry. Then you must take this, said Sir Galahad. He reached into a leather pouch that hung around his shoulder. He took out a silver cup. With a trembling hand, the young knight gave the cup to Annie. A cup, she said. Take this too, said Sir Percival. He pulled a small wooden box from a bag that hung from his belt. He handed it to Jack. Jack opened the lid. In the middle of the box was a pointer with markings all around it. A compass, said Jack. And this, said Sir Lancelot. He took a silk cord from around his neck. A glass key hung from the cord. A key, whispered Annie. Lancelot handed the key to Annie. She and Jack looked at it closely. Then Annie hung it around her neck. When she turned back, all the knights were fast asleep. Sweet dreams, Annie said gently. You guys need a long nap. Jack and Annie stood up. I think we have all our gifts now, Jack said, but I'd better make sure. He hurried to get his backpack. It was lying in the grass near the knight's swords. He pulled out his notebook and read the second rhyme. Four gifts you will need, the first from me, then a cup, a compass, and finally a key. Great, said Annie. We got the cloak from the Christmas night and the other three gifts from them. This quest is really easy. Jack shook his head. It's not over yet, he said. We still have to find the cauldron with the water of memory and imagination. We'll find it, said Annie. Read the third rhyme. Jack looked in his notebook and read the third rhyme aloud. If you survive to complete your quest, the secret door lies to the west. No problem, said Annie. We survived the guards and the dance. Now the compass can show us how to go west. And the key will unlock the secret door and will fill the cup with water from the cauldron. See, it's all easy. Jack still felt worried. A little too easy, he thought. What are we waiting for, said Annie. Let's go. Jack looked down at the compass. Okay, he said. The pointer's pointing north, so west must be that way. He pointed left toward a thicket of bushes and small trees. Great, said Annie. Here, carry the cup in your pack. Jack put his notebook and the silver cup into his pack. Then he and Annie started into the thicket. They ducked under branches and pushed past bushes. Thorns scraped their hands. Twigs snapped against their faces. Jack kept ch checking the compass. Could they really be searching in the right place, he wondered. What kind of door would they find in the tangled thicket? Listen, said Annie. It's so quiet now. The thicket had grown 
eerily silent. No birds called from the bushes. No music could be heard in the distance. Jack checked the compass once more. It says we're still going west, he said. I just hope this thing works. It works, Annie said softly. Look, Annie was holding back a leafy branch. She pointed to a rocky hillside beyond the thicket. Halfway up the hillside was a ledge. Between two giant boulders on the ledge was a shining glass door. Chapter 11, The Crystal Cave. The secret door, whispered Jack. Yes, said Annie. Jack dropped the compass into his pack. Then he and Annie scrambled through the bushes and climbed up the rocks to the door. Annie took Sir Lancelot's glass key from around her neck. She slipped the key into the keyhole. She turned the key slowly. Clink, yippee, Annie said softly. She pushed open the door. Beyond the door was a huge glittering cave. The floor, walls, and ceiling were made of clear crystal. Jack and Annie stepped inside. The cave was filled with dancing streams of purple light. It's so bright, whispered Jack. Where's all the purple light coming from? There, said Annie. She pointed to a crack on the far side of the cave. Let's look. They crossed the cave and peered through the crack into a room. Along the brilliant crystal walls of the room were four doorways. In the far corner of the room was a fire. The fire blazed with leaping purple flames. Over the flames hung a gleaming golden cauldron. There it is, whispered Jack. Wow, whispered Annie. The cauldron with the water of memory and imagination, whispered Jack. I know, whispered Annie. Let's go. They squeezed through the crack, then walked toward the gleaming cauldron. Jack reached into his pack and pulled out Sir Galahad's silver cup. The cauldron's too high, said Annie. We can't get to the water. Here, take this, said Jack, handing her the cup. Climb on my back. He bent over and Annie climbed on piggyback. Jack stood up shakily. Hurry, he said. You're heavy. I can't reach it, said Annie. Move closer. Jack staggered forward a few steps. Stretching as far as she could, Annie reached again. She skimmed water from the top of the bubbling cauldron, filling the silver cup. Got it. She whispered, now set me down, slowly. Annie held the cup with both hands. Jack slowly bent his knees and Annie climbed carefully off his back. They stared silently for a moment at the water of memory and imagination in the cup. It was clear and shimmering. Now we, have, now we can save Morgan, said Annie. Just then, Jack smelled something strange. It was like the smell of rotten seaweed. He heard weird gurgling sounds behind him. He and Annie turned around. A giant, slimy, mud-colored creature crawled out through one of the doorways. The creature was long and scaly like a crocodile, but much, much bigger. It had wings that looked as if they'd been spun from a thousand spider webs. It had glowing red eyes and long curled claws. The creature opened its huge jaws. Strands of drool dripped from its sharp pointed teeth. The creature hissed and hot blue flame shot from its mouth. Another monster crawled through a different doorway, quickly followed by a third and then a fourth. Yikes, said Annie. The real keepers of the cauldron, whispered Jack. Chapter 12, Fire with Fire. The four real keepers of the cauldron crawled closer to Jack and Annie, hissing and snorting blue fire. 
What do we do now? whispered Annie. I don't know, said Jack. We're trapped. I have an idea, whispered Annie. Let's drink the water. What? said Jack. It's the water of memory and imagination, right? said Annie. So maybe if we drink it, then we can imagine a way to escape. That's crazy, said Jack. The keepers crawled closer, snorting more blue flame and filling the air with their rotten stench. Okay, okay, let's try it, said Jack. Annie took a sip from the silver cup, then handed it to Jack. His hands trembled as he held the cup to his lips and took a sip. The water tasted sweet, bitter, and spicy, all at the same time. Jack gave the cup back to Annie. Now imagine we're saved, she said. Jack closed his eyes. He tried to imagine being saved. He pictured the four keepers crawling back through their doorways. Okay, ready to fight, said Annie. Jack opened his eyes. What? Fight? Annie set the silver cup on the floor. Now, she said. Suddenly, Jack felt like he'd been hit by a bolt of lightning. His fears slipped away. He was filled with strength and fury. Without thinking, he lunged with Annie toward the wood fire under the cauldron. They each grabbed two long, straight branches from the edge of the fire. They raised them high in the air. The branches blazed with purple fire like flaming swords. Ah! Jack and Annie shouted. The four keepers hissed louder than before. Great balls of blue fire exploded from their mouths and nostrils. Jack and Annie slashed the air with their fiery weapons, jabbing at the keepers. They fought fire with fire, blue flame with purple flame. Back! Back! They shouted. With each jab and shout, Jack felt stronger and braver. Waving their burning branches, he and Annie drove the keepers toward the walls. The keepers' blue flames grew weaker and weaker as if they were running out of fuel. Finally, one by one, each keeper slunk back into the doorway from which it had come. When all the keepers had disappeared, Jack and Annie placed a burning branch in front of each of the four doorways to keep the monsters from coming back out. Then they brushed off their hands. Let's go, Annie said coolly. Jack nodded. Annie carefully picked up the silver cup of water from the cauldron. Then she and Jack squeezed through the narrow crack and strode through the bright crystal cave. They stepped out into the daylight. The glass key was still in the keyhole. Jack calmly locked the door behind them. He handed the key to Annie. Then Jack's knees gave way and he sank to the ground. Chapter 13, Your Horses Are Waiting. I don't believe what just happened, said Jack. What part don't you believe, said Annie, holding the silver cup. Jack laughed and shook his head. I don't believe any of it, he said. Annie laughed too. That was cool, huh? Jack pushed his glasses into place and stared at her. Seriously, what just happened in there? He asked. I imagined us fighting the keepers with flaming swords, said Annie. What did you imagine? Jack shrugged. I, I just imagined the keepers going back in their holes, he said. Good, said Annie. We both got what we imagined. Yeah, said Jack, smiling. But what you imagined made a much better story. A shriek of fury came from inside the cave. Yikes, said Annie. Let's get out of here, said Jack. He scrambled to his feet, and together they climbed back down over the big rocks to the thicket. Annie moved very carefully to keep from spilling the water in the cup. When they came to the thicket, Jack pulled out Sir Percival's compass. If we came west to get here, we have to go east to get back, he said. 
East is that way. As they started into the wild growth, Jack went first so he could clear the way for Annie. Without talking, they pushed steadily through the trees and bushes, moving farther and farther from the keeper's cave. Finally, they heard music in the distance. They walked closer and closer toward the sound until they stepped back into the green glade. The winged dancers were still there, dancing in their magic circle. Jack's heart raced. He wanted to join them again, but he knew that if he did, he would never escape their dance. Look, said Annie, the knights are awake. Sir Lancelot, Sir Galahad, and Sir Percival were standing just beyond the circle of dancers. They were buckling on their swords. Hi, called Annie. Guess what? We got it. The knights walked shakily toward Jack and Annie. They still looked thin and tired, but color had returned to their cheeks. We have the water of memory and imagination, said Annie. She held up the silver cup. The knights smiled. Now we just have to get it back to Camelot, said Jack. We would like to help you, said Sir Lancelot, but it seems we have lost our three horses. No, you haven't, said Annie. Your horses are waiting for you. They're on the other side of the hill, said Jack. Jack and Annie led the knights over the hill. On their way, Jack picked up the red velvet cloak. When they came to the meadow, they saw the three horses. The horses neighed and cantered over to the knights. As Sir Lancelot stroked the mane of the black horse, he turned to Jack and Annie. You can both ride back to Camelot with me, he said. Thanks, they said. Jack fastened the red cloak around his neck. Sir Lancelot helped them onto the back of his horse, then climbed on himself. Annie sat behind Lancelot. She held on to the knight with her right hand. She held the silver cup in her left hand. Can you carry the water without spilling it? Jack asked her, worried. I'll try, she said. Sir Galahad mounted the brown horse and Sir Percival climbed on the gray horse. Then the three knights started through the pale green meadow. Careful, careful, Jack whispered to Annie. I got it, I got it, she said. When they came to the iron gate, the knights drew their swords. Open the gate in the name of King Arthur of Camelot, Sir Lancelot called. Though he still sounded hoarse, the knight's deep voice carried an amazing strength. The iron gate slowly swung open. Sir Lancelot urged his horse onward. The guards watched silently as the knights passed by them and started across the bridge. The three horses trod in single file over the wooden planks. Again, Jack was amazed by the difference between this world and the other world. Here it was dark and freezing and foggy. The red cloak flapped in the bitter wind. As the horses stepped off the bridge, they each neighed loudly. Oh, wow, whispered Annie. Standing high on a rock in a swirl of fog was the white stag. Chapter 14, Return. The three knights gazed in wonder at the white stag. Here, take this, Annie said to Jack. She handed him the silver cup. Then she slipped off the back of Lancelot's horse and ran to the stag. Thanks for coming for us, she cried, throwing her arms around his neck. The three knights looked at Jack. That's the white stag, said Jack. He brought us here. Are you wizards? Sir Percival asked in a hushed voice. No, just ordinary kids, said Jack. But I know he's magic. We got here from Camelot in no time at all. I guess he's come to take us back. Then you must go with him said Sir Lancelot. You will have a much faster journey, I can assure you. Sir Lancelot held the silver cup as Jack slipped down from the black horse. Then Jack took the cup and carefully climbed onto the back of the stag behind Annie. He held the cup with both hands as the stag stood up. 
Tell King Arthur we will return to Camelot before the first night of the new year, said Sir Lancelot. Farewell, Jack and Annie, said Sir Galahad. Godspeed, said Sir Percival. Same to you, said Annie. Have a safe trip, said Jack. The knight solemnly bowed. The white stag blew out a puff of frosty air. Then he started down the mountainside. When the stag came to the base of the mountain, he took off again like a white comet. The red cloak billowed around Jack and Annie, keeping them warm and safe. The stag dashed across the wintry fields. He ran past quiet stables and thatched huts. He ran past flocks of sheep and herds of goats asleep in meadows. He leaped over frozen streams and stone walls and hedgerows. The stag ran on and on through the starry night until he brought Jack and Annie back to the dark castle grounds of Camelot. He walked over the frozen grass of the outer courtyard. He came to a halt near the grove below the treehouse. He knelt in the grass and Jack and Annie climbed off his back. Miraculously, the silver cup still brimmed with water from the cauldron. Not a drop had spilled out. We'd better leave the cloak here, said Jack, so I don't trip on it. Jack carefully set the cup on the ground. Annie helped him unbutton the red velvet cloak from around his neck. Then she draped it over the stag's back. To keep you warm and safe, she whispered to him. And thanks for everything. Yeah, thanks, said Jack. Goodbye. The white stag stared at them with his mysterious amber eyes. He nodded once, then he turned and headed into the darkness. Jack picked up the cup. Come on, he said. He started walking quickly through the outer courtyard. Careful, careful, said Annie. I got it, I got it, said Jack. They crossed the drawbridge to the inner courtyard of the castle. Then they pushed open the giant arched doors. The great hall was just as they had left it, dimly lit and freezing cold. King Arthur, Queen Guinevere, the Knights of the Round Table, and Morgan Le Fay were all still frozen and silent. What do we do now, said Jack. Let's try putting a drop of water on each of them. Morgan first, said Annie. Okay, said Jack, come on. Holding his breath, and keeping his eyes on the cup, Jack walked carefully toward the round table. Suddenly, his left foot stepped on the shoelace of his right sneaker, and he stumbled. Jack, yelled Annie. Jack tried to regain his balance, but it was too late. As he fell to the floor, the silver cup slipped from his hands. Chapter 15, Christmas Magic. Jack and Annie watched in horror as the water from the cup splashed over the stone floor. It trickled into the cracks between the stones and disappeared. Jack scrambled to the cup. He picked it up. It was completely empty. Oh no, Jack moaned. He sat back and put his head in his hands. Camelot will never wake up now, he thought. The legend will end forever. Jack, said Annie, look. Jack raised his head. He pushed his glasses into place. A golden cloud was rising from the cracks between all the stones of the floor. The cloud spread quickly throughout the great hall, filling the room with wonderful smells, the scent of cedar smoke and evergreen, of roses and almonds. The cloud rose up and up, then wafted out through the upper windows of the hall. Suddenly, a white dove flew through one of the windows. It soared across the dark room like a bright light, then swooped back out into the night. Soft gentle laughter came from the end of the hall. The laughter grew louder. Jack saw King Arthur and Queen Guinevere looking at one another. They were laughing. The knights of the round table were laughing too. 
Best of all, Jack saw Morgan Le Fay smiling at him and Annie. Jack, Annie, come here, she called. She held out her arms. Morgan, cried Annie. She ran to Morgan and threw her arms around the enchantress. Jack stood up, still holding the empty cup. He ran to Morgan and hugged her too. We did what the Christmas night told us to do, said Annie. We brought back the water of memory and imagination. But I dropped the cup, said Jack, and spilled all the water. But the water made a gold cloud, said Annie, and everyone came back to life. Morgan laughed with amazement. You have just returned from the other world, she asked. Yes, said Annie. A white stag brought us back, said Jack. He turned to King Arthur. Your majesty, he said, we have good news. Your knights are safe. Sir Lancelot said to tell you they'll be home before the first night of the new year. The king looked bewildered. You found them? Yes, and they're all fine, said Annie. Here, said Jack. He handed the silver cup to the king. Please give this back to Sir Galahad. And this to Sir Lancelot, said Annie. She took the glass key from around her neck and gave it to King Arthur. Oh, and this to Sir Percival, said Jack. He pulled the wooden compass box from his pack and gave it to the king. At first, King Arthur was too stunned to speak. Then he clapped his hands and laughed joyfully. Thank you, he said to Jack and Annie. The knights of the round table all cheered. Ring the bells, King Arthur shouted. Call the people of Camelot to the castle. They have already gathered outside the doors, your majesty, said a page. Bring them in, said King Arthur. We must rejoice together. Queen Guinevere smiled at Jack and Annie. Her eyes sparkled now. Once again, you have helped save Camelot, she said. Thank you very much. You're welcome, said Jack and Annie together. Then Jack heard the sounds of children talking and laughing. He turned to see a crowd of people streaming through the arched doorway of the great hall. They carried candles, a giant fir tree, and boughs of holly and pine. Musicians followed them with stringed instruments. As everyone started to decorate the hall, the musicians began playing and singing a beautiful Christmas carol. Jack, said Annie, look. The white stag was standing in the arched doorway. Jack turned excitedly to Morgan. See that white stag, he said. He took us to the other world. See him? Morgan smiled. Yes, I do see him, she smiled. And now I see everything. Jack looked back at the doorway. The stag was gone. In his place stood an old man with a long white beard. He held a staff and wore a flowing red cloak, the same cloak Jack and Annie had worn on their quest. Who's that? Jack asked. That is Merlin the magician, said Morgan. It was Merlin who invited you here. I see that now. Merlin, said Jack. He sent us the royal invitation? Yes, said Morgan. Then he put the rest of us under a spell and he carried you to the other world. No, said Annie. The Christmas night put you under a spell and the white stag carried us to the other world, said Jack. Morgan smiled. Merlin was both the Christmas night and the white stag, she said. Remember, he's a magician, not a mortal. He can change his shape whenever he wishes. Oh, wow, whispered Annie. Why did Merlin do these things? Asked Jack. Merlin was angry when King Arthur banished magic from Camelot, 
said Morgan. I see now he finally took matters into his own hands. How? said Jack. He knew King Arthur would send no more knights to the other world for the water of memory and imagination, said Morgan. So I assume he brought you to Camelot, hoping that you would offer to go instead. Why did he want us to go? asked Annie. Merlin has often heard my tales of your adventures in the treehouse, said Morgan. He knows you both have a great desire to fight for the good, and he knows you use the gift of imagination very well. Those are two special qualities needed to succeed in any quest. Jack and Annie looked back at Merlin. From far across the room, the white-bearded magician smiled at them. He raised his staff, then he slipped out the door. Jack looked around the great hall. All the candles and torches were lit now. A fire blazed in the hearth. The musicians were playing. Everyone was singing. The room glowed with warm firelight and rosy faces. At last, Christmas in Camelot was just as Jack had imagined it would be. The spell of the dark wizard had been broken. The great hall was filled with beauty and love and joy and light. Chapter 16, Welcome Home. Wake up, Jack, said Annie. Jack opened his eyes. He was lying in the dark on the wooden floor of the treehouse. Through the window, he saw the cloudy sky above the Frog Creek Woods. Time to go home, said Annie. Oh, I must have fallen asleep, said Jack. I had the most incredible dream. I dreamed that we went to Camelot. It was Christmas and Merlin. That wasn't a dream, said Annie. It was real. You fell asleep at the round table during the party. King Arthur carried you to the treehouse, and I made the wish for us to come home. Jack sat up. Seriously? He whispered. Seriously, she said. Jack! Annie! Their mom called in the distance. Coming! Annie shouted out the treehouse window. She turned to Jack. Let's go. I mean, seriously? It really happened? Jack asked Annie again. Yes, really, she said. She held up the royal invitation. See? Proof! Oh, yeah, he whispered. This time, the letter M stood for Merlin, not Morgan, said Annie. Jack smiled. Thanks, Merlin, he said softly. Jack picked up his backpack. Then he and Annie started down the rope ladder and headed home. As they walked through the deep December twilight, snowflakes started to fall. By the time they left the woods and headed down their street, snow was swirling everywhere. Ahead, they could see their house glowing with lamplight. Their mom was waiting on the front porch. Hi, Mom, said Annie. Hi, Mom, said Jack. Hi, kids. Did you have a good day, she asked. Yeah, said Jack. Pretty good, said Annie. I'm glad, said their mom. Welcome home. She held the door open, and Jack and Annie slipped inside. Their house felt extra warm and cozy. Good smells came from the kitchen. Jack and Annie took off their snow-covered jackets, then headed up the stairs. In the hallway, Annie turned to Jack. Merry Christmas, she said simply. Merry Christmas, he said. Annie slipped into her room and Jack into his. Jack closed his door and sat on his bed. He took his notebook out of his pack and opened it. His spirits sank. Except for the three rhymes, he'd taken no notes on their journey. Not one. Exhausted, Jack lay back on his bed. He squeezed his eyes shut. He tried to remember the details of their adventures in Camelot and the other world. He could feel the terrible chill in the great hall when Morgan was frozen. He could hear the joyful music as the winged dancers danced around in their circle. He could taste the sweet 
bitter, spicy taste of the water of memory and imagination. Jack sat up. All at once, he felt very awake. He turned to a clean page in his notebook. He grabbed his pencil and wrote, It all started when we saw the white dove in the twilight. Using his memory and his imagination, Jack kept writing, doing his part to keep the legend of King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table, Merlin, and Morgan Le Fay alive. As the snow swirled outside his window, Jack wrote and wrote and wrote. He didn't stop writing until he had written down the whole story, his story of their Christmas in Camelot. The end.